0: It had been an unlucky mix in most people's view, as the daughter was quite plain and given to fits of depression. Thomas Begay, a fine looking young man and one of great wit and charm when sober, attributed his young wife's moodiness to this white blood and was prone to make excuses for her on that basis. All this, according to the local trader, who was well up on the situation, having had an eye for Lucy Tallwoman and her blankets himself. Thomas Begay sat handcuffed to the chromium arm of an emergency room lounge chair, mesmerized by a small brown spider that was lowering itself from the ceiling to the potted plant beside him. The deputy had hurried away to look for the ER nurse, as there was no one at the check-in desk when they arrived. Hurry up, hurry up, Thomas thought vaguely as he watched the spider. That's the white way. It was not a common spider, and Thomas Begay was trying to focus on it, Something about the way it hovered there at eye level, twirling this way and that on its silver strand, made him think of Spider-Woman and the strange things his grandfather had told him as a child. "'Is that you, Spider-Woman?' Thomas whispered, peering blearily at the little creature. "'Have you come for me?' He leaned over the arm of the chair to better hear what the Spider-Woman might have to say. As he put his full weight on the chair arm, he couldn't help but notice that the weld holding it to the frame was not really welded at all, but had broken loose at some time in the past and was now held together only by the tension of the frame's curvature. Thomas Begay studied this new development, carefully adjusting his weight back and forth, watching the weld separate at the nearly indiscernible hairline crack. It finally dawned on him that indeed Spider Woman had come for him and that he had best be cooperating. Putting all his weight against the arm, he slipped off the steel ring and sat looking at his cuffed hand, now in his lap. Thank you, Spider-Woman, he said quietly, rising unsteadily to his feet. His head felt much better while he was standing, and his breath came more easily, too. Looking both ways down the hall, he put the manacled hand in his jacket pocket and moved away, opposite the direction taken by the deputy. Coming out the back entrance of the hospital into the morning light, Thomas Begay's eyes fell upon the patrol car. Surely the keys wouldn't, but they were. And as he pulled out of the parking lot, he shook a finger in the rearview mirror and said, You see how it is when you hurry up, hurry up all the time? The hospital stands at the edge of town on a hill above the river, and across the river, over the bridge, lie more than twenty-five thousand square miles of the Navajo Reservation possibly the largest Indian reservation in the world. The tribal council now refers to it as the Navajo Nation. Older Indians still refer to it as Dinipikea, Navajo Country. But young people just call it the Res. Even today a person can become lost in its vastness, disappear, so to speak, should they be of a mind. Thomas Begay drove very slowly in that overly cautious manner drunk people assume when trying to appear sober. As he crossed the bridge, he noticed the water was low, exposing large piles of driftwood which had collected against the buttresses, including a few cottonwood trees of considerable size. Navajos, as a rule, are not good swimmers, and Thomas hated the very thought of it. The cold water caused him to suck in his breath, though it was quite shallow, four feet at the most. Easing along underneath the bridge until he reached the driftwood, he selected the broken-off top of a cottonwood tree that still had some upper branches and even leaves attached. Pushing it out into the river, he floated alongside, his body submerged, his head hidden in the leaves, the toes of his tennis shoes bouncing softly along the rocky bottom. Far away in the distance, he could hear the faint wail of sirens. He smiled to himself through chattering teeth. "'They will search,' every arroyo from the river to the bluffs before they think of the water. And of course, he was right. Charlie Yazzie was investigating the disappearance of four sheep and an Angora goat over in Hunter's Wash when the call came from headquarters, touching off the horn alarm on his vehicle. He would not ordinarily have been called out for missing sheep, except that the complaint had come from his grandmother, Mary Plenty Goats, who had specifically requested her grandson. Sue Hanagarni, who was on the switchboard at the time, had gone to high school with Charlie and thought it would be a fine joke to put the report through on the air. Yes, Charlie, your grandmother says Samuel Shorthair already came out but that he can't find his ass with both hands.